Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Hi, I'm Bill Cooper with Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. Boy, it's uh, cold weather, January and February, right on top of us here. Been some great things going on in the outdoors, and we're going to talk this morning about late season deer tactics. And of course, deer season will have uh, been over by a week or two by the time that this program airs, but that's all right. You know, deer hunters love to keep talking about deer particularly if, if they kill the big deer so uh we got a guy on uh, the program with us this morning mr patrick sneeders from up at freeburg missouri and pat is a living the dream outdoor properties land specialist pat man it's great to have you on the show with us this morning yeah thank you bill i, I sure do appreciate you having me on um yeah i can't can't wait to talk uh <laughs> Talk all about the tactics and deer. Hey, well, I know you're you're an avid deer hunter and, and of course, an avid bow hunter as well. And I think you and a couple of your buddies have even spent some time in Africa. I've, I was a bit jealous and really enamored by that that story. And I think we talked about that on a uh, podcast a few months ago. But it's always good to have you on the program because I know that you are a very serious deer hunter and uh, and bow hunter and an outdoorsman as well. So you're a perfect fit for the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties folks, man. I know they look not only for – they like to have young folks with lots of them and vigor, but they also like to have uh, outdoorsmen. And I think that's – and I'm a bit envious of that as well. You have to understand that because I see – I drool every day over the properties that you guys uh, post. And I know I'm not the only one because every time I look at one of those grand outdoor properties, I, know, I think, man, there's got to be tremendous deer and turkey hunting opportunities there and sometimes even uh, <clears throat> fishing opportunities. So I got, I got to ask you before we get into talking about your big buck uh, – is your job, I mean, do you really love your job as a land specialist with Living the Dream? Yes, I do. I, I absolutely love it. It's the combination of uh, going out and seeing uh, spectacular properties plus just getting to meet the, you know, the people, um, you know, buyers and sellers both. I mean, it's just you get create so many good relationships um, throughout, you know, just the, the process of, of doing the job that it's truly rewarding, so. It's the best of both worlds. You're seeing cool property, you know, deer and turkey, you know, water features, stuff like that, and then also getting to meet, you know, just spectacular people along the way. So it really is uh, uh, the perfect job. Well, it sounds like it, and I've met you several times, and I know that you're a great personality, and that's extremely important uh, when you're in the real estate business, you know. But I've got to tell you, uh, I know you're several decades younger than me. You're just very fortunate that I'm not your age, because if I was, I would be a major competitor. <laughs> I, I, I would jump all over that. Of course, from my perspective, you're, you're probably going to last <clears throat> laugh at me. I spent 34 years as a UPS man, and I used to deliver <clears throat> 
up in your area, just south. Well, I went right to the edge of the Freeburg city limits up there, but I was all over that Gasconade River country, you know. And, oh, yeah. Oh, and I loved it. The people up there are just uh, uh, so warm and friendly, always so helpful to me. Plus, you know, I could, boy, I didn't have a problem at all walking up on those front porches and and knocking on the door, you know, and always try to strike up a conversation with the landowners up up there and get acquainted with those people. So, uh, I understand a little bit about what you're up to when you're you're out uh, looking at properties and and uh, getting uh, acquainted with people. But grand country up there in that region, you're between the Gasconade River, which of course runs all the way up to the Missouri River, and you get close yep. to those rivers. Those farms, man, they they are the ticket because there's great uh, deer and uh, turkey populations there, and and just oh yeah. Just some beautiful properties up there, too. I used to laugh about, you know, it's kind of German country, a lot of that. And I said, those old Germans, yeah, they they might own a 1,000 acres, but they'll build their house right in the middle of it, not up next to the road. <laughs> I was rough <laughs> on you, exactly UPS guys. Right. But I still still always thoroughly love driving into those properties and just checking everything out. Well, Patrick, I, I know that you have a tremendous time up there working in, in the real estate business with Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, but you also also uh, take some time to get to do some bow hunting and deer hunting and that sort of thing and i kind of i watch the social media and i pick up a lot of stories from social media to giving people calls and that sort of thing and two uh, of course i write for deer cast for the drury brothers and they're always looking for big buck stories and sometimes they call me and give me an assignment maybe out of state but get to talk to some interesting folks but you killed a mighty fine buck late in the season. In fact, it was on January first. Yes, I think sir. you told me uh, that's quite it's a New second, Year's, yeah, yeah quite yeah. a New Year's gift to yourself. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I was actually I was, I was looking back to count January second. It was that Sunday. Second, so, but yeah, still a still a great uh, New Year's gift. Oh, absolutely. But I I know that you're experienced enough that you probably have uh, you know uh, some personal. I don't know what you call it, uh, uh, personal things that you utilize year after year, you know, tips and tactics that you utilize to uh, uh, to kill the big deer that you've killed. Because, I, I, you know, I've followed you a little bit, and I've seen some of those big uh, big racks that you've uh, come up with. And I know to yeah. do that consistently, you know more than me, that uh, it takes a lot of dedication and, and a lot of work. But... Did you have history with this buck? Now, this buck was a 10-pointer and scored 158 and one eight inches. Man, that's respectable anywhere. And uh, did you have some history with this buck? Yeah. So, yeah, we did. And, yeah, kind of the, the whole story behind this buck, there was a, a lot of thought and, you know, a lot of process in it. Um, he was actually, we're about 99% sure he was six years old, and we've been chasing for three years now. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, the... What we did was we noticed every year um, we, we didn't know where he summered at, and we, we never had pictures of him during the rut or October, November. And the last three years, he would move into our property in usually about the first week of December. And uh, he did the same thing this year. I want to say if I go back, and I think we got the first picture of him. Yeah, it was that first week of December, December 3rd or 4th. So the whole thought process this year going in was we needed uh, late season food because um, usually we plant, yeah, usually we plant, uh, you know, like two we got two acres there we plant beans or, 
you know, some, some wheat and, you know, had alfalfa one time, but, uh, this year we just went with the, the late season, um, turnips and, uh, it, it paid off because that, that cold snap on that Sunday dropped down to 18. And I haven't, I've purposely not went in and hunted this deer, um, until, you know, the cold snap, cause he was basically all nocturnal. We never did have a daylight photo of him, but always got those photos about an hour after dark. So I figured, you know, once I got the right wind, just waiting for a north northwest wind, uh, we got that wind come in, that cold snap. And uh, sure enough, he uh, came out to the turnip field at four o'clock. It was a good, good hour before dark and it, uh, it, it paid off. The plan came together perfectly. Exactly what we were hoping it, it came together and, and worked just like we thought. So it was, it was pretty special. Well, it, it's amazing the process that you just took us through there. You could tell there's a lot of thought, experience, and planning going into that whole ordeal. It, it, and it's, I think often people get surprised late in the season because, as you mentioned, this buck didn't show up to, you know, uh, first week of December or so, and uh, you hadn't seen him uh, yep. all season long. But uh, you knew that there was a possibility that that could happen. So that's uh, either from trail camera photos or notes that you take or just good old memory. Sometimes, you know, folks keep everything in their head. I don't know how they do yep. it. I get that stuff all jumbled up. But you mentioned, you know, that you guys go to the trouble and effort and expense to uh, plant food plots and everything, but you kind of put all your eggs in one basket for the late season food and went to turnips. Why turnips? Yeah, turnips just have always done done pretty well in that food pile. We don't got the greatest soil, but um, we just have always had luck in, in late season when we get to you know, those super cold days and the frost and snow. It just seems like those deer, you know, love those turnips. And if you do, we sprinkled a little bit of wheat in, but it seems like that wheat sometimes kind of gets mowed off um, pretty quick and pretty early when it shoots up when it's real young. So uh, we elected to go pretty much a full field of turnips. And uh, those deer just, I think it came out with, I mean, I'm only hunting on 100 acres, so um, it's not a not a great big place. But that that cold snap, I think there was 12 other deer out there that wow. came out with them. So they were they were loving those turnips. I think, like I said, it's only about an acre and a half, maybe right at about two. It, um, I think we only had about another week or two left of turnips. They could have held because those deer were sure hitting them hard. <laughs> they they do love them. I, I plant turnips every year, and of course. I've only got 10 acres here, but I'm surrounded by f- folks, you know, that don't really hunt. I got a neighbor that hunts, but he doesn't hunt at home, which is, yeah. is to my advantage, you know. And I've probably got the only food plot within, I don't even know where the next one is. So there's actually several hundred acres here that I can yeah. pull from. And it's amazing. I mean, the, the little plot I've got, maybe three quarters of an acre. And, and I, I plant a lot of things in it, you know, early the wheat and oats and rye and chicory and always got clover there. And early in the season, man, I yeah. had a, a eight, nine deer uh, there in the afternoon. And most of them were, uh, you know, does and uh, fawns, deer of the year, that that sort of thing. But uh, my trail cam photos show me that I had four different bucks coming uh, in there. And I was, I'm getting old enough, I kind of like to get the job done. So I, I was out uh, opening day of both season, could have actually put a dough in the freezer that day, but it was so hot, I just didn't want to deal with it. So yeah. I waited a few days later and, and killed right. a small deer. And a week later, killed another one, and grandkids killed a, a couple. But it's just incredible what that food 
is as a draw to deer, particularly when you plant it out and you've got food throughout the season. And uh, I've had great luck with oh, yeah. deer radishes, and I've still 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 deer are working on them out there, just like the tournaments tournaments digging them up and eating them and the poor tops you know after yep. they find those they mow them down so so quickly but man what what a story and what a deer that you managed to take and this was with the muzzle loader correct yes sir uh yes it was yep there's a Yep, good old Remy, Remington uh, 54 caliber. So, 54? Yep, it, it came out to about, oh, yep, between oh, about 60 and 70 yards. So it, it wasn't too tough. And uh, like I said, he was out there with a bunch of other deer. And he was calling. I had the perfect wind. It was actually blowing me over. Um, we have about a three-acre lake down there. It was blowing me over the lake. So the wind was perfect, and the, the deer were pretty calm. And he came out as, yeah, I didn't even range him, but it was somewhere between 60 and 70. And. I got a nice broadside shot, so it, it it worked out exactly how I pictured it in my mind. It was it was cool. Oh, isn't it great when plans like that come together? Of course, as deer hunters, turkey hunters, whatever, you know, we have this. Well, any trip I go out on, I've got a got a picture in my mind. You know, what I would like to see doesn't always turn out that way, but in your case, it sounds like it uh, did. So, were you hunting out of a tree stand, ground blind, or what was the situation? Yeah, I was sitting in a, a metal uh, ladder stand and talk about cold. <laughs> I, I knew it was going to be cold, but yeah, it was a metal metal ladder stand. But we had it sucked into a cedar tree pretty good, so uh, it helped keep the wind off me a little bit. But uh, yeah, it, it was a cold sit, that's for sure. Oh, boy. That's what it takes, though, to kill those big boys sometimes. you got to sacrifice something. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, I've gotten old enough that I really like those ground blinds because they really knock the wind off of you. I think I I sat maybe in a double ladder stand with a granddaughter for a few hours one day during youth season. I think that's the only time I climbed a tree all, all season this year. But what an exciting adventure deer hunting is, whether it's bow hunting early season or you know, uh, like yourself, the good old diehards that get out there and manhunt it till the till the last day, you know, and you got right down to the wire here and managed to pull a big buck out of the hat. And I say that yeah. like you like you just pulled a rabbit out of the hat jokingly because you explained to us how much time, how much expense, how much work that you put in uh, throughout the season, throughout the year. You know, this is something we kind of keep in our minds all year long. And, folks, I hope these tips and tactics from uh, – uh, Patrick Sneeders has helped out, file them away, use them for next year. But, Pat, it's not going to be long. We're going to have to think a little bit about uh, starting to get those food plots for next season. Uh, but hold that thought. We're going to take a short break here. And, uh, folks, don't go away because we got some more good information about uh, deer hunting and getting ready for the next season. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I hope you followed along in the first segment of the program. I had Patrick Sneeders on. He's with the Living the Dream Outdoors Properties and works as a land specialist out of Freeburg, Missouri. And Patrick took a beautiful buck uh, late in the season, January 2nd, with a muzzleloader. And Patrick, I got to tell you, uh, well, not just me. I think there's a lot of us out here are a bit envious. 
But we shouldn't be because uh, you explained to us how much time and effort and work, <laughs> probably a few late nights and everything else you put into harvesting this buck. And it, it it's always a great story when you hear somebody have success, especially after they've done the done the work. You know, you had uh, you said you've been hunting this buck for probably three years, had uh, uh, trail yep. cam photos. Yep. It almost has yep. to end in success. <laughs> you hope it does. <laughs> yeah, you hope it does. That's how you like it then. But no, it, it doesn't always work out like that, unfortunately. But we were, we were lucky enough this time to get it done. So, Yeah, well, you used the word lucky. I'm not sure that's the appropriate word. I like to say, you know, you did your homework and, hey, uh, you reaped the benefits. And But, you know, we do hear, hear the story sometime of uh, – People just go out for the first time and, and kill a, a big monster buck, you know. And I think all that does is just run them for the rest of their life because it's probably not going to happen again. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> they have the expectations that it might. And, and that's, a, <laughs> right. that's a big bite. But, hey, we were talking at the end of the first segment there. We uh, were talking about our turnips and uh, all the things that we plant in the food plots. But, uh getting ready for next year now of course you've got a great incentive because you just killed a big buck and that buck's going to stay all, <laughs> on your mind every month of the year probably and that's a real stimulus to get you uh, out there and get working on your lands and your your food plots and that sort of thing uh, now like i said earlier in the program you know i've followed you a bit and i see that you're fairly successful on a regular basis you and your buddies that you hang out with at, at, at taking deer so you're obviously on the right path doing things uh correctly and you're not a huge farmer you're not planting hundreds and hundreds of acres of food no. plots you you no. t- take what's available make the best of it but when do you start preparing for next year in other words when are you going to start getting to work on food plots and whatever you do to prepare for the upcoming 2022 fall bow season first of all so when will you yeah start- it's just uh yeah, it just depends. Um, you know, we try to kind of watch the, you know, the temperatures and obviously the rain are huge factors, um, you know, in getting the food in. But, it, I mean, it can vary any time between, you know, July, August, um, you know, any time during those two months. Um, we try to, you know, get get the food in the ground and we try to, you know, obviously we, we watch, you know, the, the forecast with the rain because, you know, we, we definitely battle those times of, you know, putting the food in and not getting rain for, three or four weeks of high temps and, you know, end up, you know, unfortunately having to replant, which, which definitely does happen. And I'm sure we're not the only ones. There's a lot of people that, that fight that, but, um, yeah, it, it just depends. I mean, we, we try to, because we, uh, we also, you know, manage some land out in Kansas and Iowa and, you know, overall we're probably putting in, you know, close to, you know, I would say 25 to 30 acres of, you know, smaller food plots ranging from an acre to, you know, three or four acres. So we do, we do quite a bit and we got a lot of places to go. So, um, you know, we, we, we stay busy during those months, um, trying to get everything in. Boy, I'd say so. I didn't realize you was doing all those other areas as well. So you planning is a very important thing to you. And, and I can imagine, you know, driving that and trying to maintain food plots, get them in the ground, yeah, it's tough. And pray for rain. Very tough. Well, I, I can let you in on a couple little secrets about these smaller food plots. You know, like I said, I just hunt 10 acres here at home uh, primarily in my, my old days. Now, I used to run all over the state and out of state and that sort of thing. Don't do much that anymore. But uh, yeah. I generally try to get my food plots uh, in early. Uh, gosh, for the last 35 years, I've probably 
planted them like the second week of August. And everybody said, man, that's a terrible time because it's, it's so dry, you know. But again, I've uh, watched, watched the weather reports. And this is an honest truth. Twice in that 35 years is all that I have had to replant my food plots. I've just been so fortunate to get wow. rains. Sometimes I'm out there when it starts to rain, you know, seeding, seeding it in, and then here comes the rains. But my big secret there is when I start my little food plot there, about three-quarters of an acre, I run around it naked three times, and that brings the rain. So I would suggest you guys try that. <laughs> yeah, we might have to start trying that. Yeah, we we haven't had quite that good of luck, but maybe that's what we're missing. <laughs> I, I guarantee that that's it, man. So let me know when that happens because I'm going to be there with my video cameras. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Daryl Hyman would be real proud of you. <laughs> I'm sure he would be. Probably kick out of that. <laughs> he, he would laugh himself silly. But uh, hey, sound like you you've got the got the plans. So you, you mentioned Iowa and Kansas as well. Now, do you plant different? types of food plots there than you plant and what county are you in osage or gasconade up no, i'm in osage yep where where i live here in missouri osage yeah county. so are you planting different uh, kinds of food plots in iowa and kansas uh not not really um you know we we just we we do a lot of the current wheat and turnips um we we do some alfalfa um, usually, I mean, with, with all the places that we have, the place we manage out in Kansas and the place we manage out in Iowa, um, there's, there's tillable, um, on, on all those farms. And, uh, you know, we, we got a, a deal with the farmer to, you know, leave some of those, you know, the, the grains, like the beans and the corn and stuff. So we usually have, uh, you know, the grain food plots. So we usually just try to work on putting on something green. Um, so, you know, we got a little bit of the green stuff and we got some of the good brown stuff too. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're mostly just uh, the wheat and turnips and, you know, some alfalfa and, you know, do, do some, you know, winter peas and, and stuff like that. Because, um, like I said, we got the food plots for, you know, the earlier season. And then, uh, like, we try to get stuff, you know, green for later season. And it works out pretty good. So we got everything covered. Uh, but it sounds like it. Now, I'm, I'm trying – I'm sure you're doing lots of juggling acts here. So when it comes down to bow season, I don't know who opens first out of those three states. Is Missouri the earliest opener? Yep, Missouri's first. Okay, so you're going to bow hunt here first. But uh, have you had pretty luck, uh, good luck killing good bucks out in out in those states? I know you guys like antlers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We uh, we we definitely do our. Uh do our best we manage as, as as good as we can and um we've actually we're getting getting to the point now where um you know we, we don't even hardly shoot uh four-year-olds um at all anymore and wow. we try to try to let go all the four-year-olds and try to kill five five-year-old plus year at all um me and me and my brother chris he had a uh um, late season um shotgun tag up in iowa and uh, we actually we passed on uh, about a 165 inch four year old that we that we knew we had wow. pictures of last year as a three year old, and he was probably pushing 150 last year as a three year old, and and was every bit of 165 um, this year as a four year old. I mean, just a, a huge deer, huge deer. I mean, tall point, you know, 12 inch D2s, 10 inch, you know, D3s, good G4s, pretty wide, good mass. I mean, he's a really special deer, and and. No, it was tough to pass him, but I mean, he could be a real, oh. real special deer next year as a five-year-old, and he lives right there on the farm. So, I'd say so. You guys must be very particular about who you 
include in your your group of deer hunters because I don't know a lot of guys that would have the perseverance to to, to pass on something like that. But, you know, if you're wanting to kill the monster bucks, that's what you've got to do. And you just hope he doesn't wander off the property and, you know, a neighbor that hunts once a year kills him then. That's that's exactly right. You always say that. To kill the 180 inch deer, you got to pass up the 160s, and it's, it's pretty tough to pass up those 160s. <laughs> <laughs> it, it truly is. Well, in those states, uh, uh, Kansas and Iowa, do you have to go through any kind of a draw, or you can you just buy over the counter tags? Yeah, in in Iowa, it's, it's very tough. If uh, non residents, you have to uh, you know go through the drawing to get a bow tag, and it actually takes four years. Wow. to get a, a non-resident bow tag in Iowa. And that's, that's the biggest hurdle. We, we uh, fight in Iowa. Um, even, if, even if you're the landowner um, and you're out of state, you, you still have to go through that drawing. So it's kind of crazy. You got, you know, <laughs> you have to wait three years just to bow hunt your own property. It's, it's really tough, but it's some that of the is. best hunting in the world. That's Southern Iowa. It's, it's really amazing. Well, I think probably. Um, yeah, same out in Kansas. You have to go through a drawing. Okay. But it's uh, it's not quite as expensive in Kansas. It's a little easier to get tags over there. I uh, see. But, uh, you know, I think you hit a nail on the head there. You, you're talking about, uh, you know, the restrictions. And you know yourself, uh, restrictions seem to produce bigger deer where, the, you know, you're, you're passing that 160 yard, in this case, <laughs> state laws. And they, you know, determined, I guess, decades ago that they, they wanted to be producing a big deer rather than numbers and i know I, I follow the facebook threads a lot social media threads and you see a lot of bow hunters in particular well we'll complain about our missouri department of conservation saying that oh they're just after numbers more than a big deer and but we did finally get the four point restriction in a, quite a few counties so it has given people yeah the opportunity to to manage uh, for big deer and of course you get a lot of small land landowners like myself i can't manage for uh, big bucks because they are going to travel a ways you know and and i hear particularly in gun season i hear the nearby shots on property around me and that's people that hunt one time a year you know they'll come out for the opening weekend but boy sometimes did it ever make my heart hurt when i see see that big you know 160s big for right around here or have seen some 180s but i've seen them posted on facebook not too far from my place sometimes you know and it kind of makes my heart hurt a little bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's yep. all no that that's definitely true it, uh, i i was definitely uh kind of got the right you know you know rules and regulations set in place to produce produce some really big deer and obviously you know the 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 ground makes a big difference. There's some really good soil up there and, and really good crops, which definitely helps. But them not having a, uh, you know, rifle season, I think, is the, you know, one of the biggest factors of, you know, why deer just get so big up there. Um, because, you know, they, like I said, they just don't have the rifle season where, you know, a lot of these, you know, deer in, in Missouri, there's, you know, tons and tons of deer killed during rifle season here in Missouri. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that definitely makes makes a difference. And like Kansas, they, they only have their rifle season in, in late season. They don't have it kind of, you know, Missouri is right in the middle of the rut, you know, per se, or, you know, the back end of it. But it's still a lot of rutting activity going on when Missouri's rifle season is. And I think that that definitely uh, makes those numbers um, rise here in Missouri. So. Oh, absolutely, and that's always a big controversy. It's kicked around a lot. You know, you got your meat hunters versus your antler 
hunters, and that's always a topic of conversation. But I think Missouri's kind of set on a program. You know, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember when there were, well, I didn't even see a deer until I was in high school. I was raised in Missouri Boot Hill. We had no deer or turkey, either one. Uh, I can remember old guys sitting around the coal stoves in the small country stores, you know, spitting on the stove and that sort of thing. And, it, oh, man, it was just a big hoopla if somebody even found a deer track. And that was usually over on the Mississippi River. And now, today, <laughs> in modern times, I mean, we're usually killing in the neighborhood all seasons combined about 300,000 deer a year. That's a lot of animal feeds yeah. uh, feeds a lot of people and provides you know just an immense amount of enjoyment for tens of thousands of people each year so it's hard for me to be critical you know hey the the guys that are hunt, right. hunting the big horns are usually very uh intense and uh, they're not opposed to traveling you know just like you and your group you guys hunt in three states there and uh you just put in a lot of more work and effort than the most of us do so I kind of reluctantly say this, but I, I guess you guys do uh, uh, deserve the big bucks. You know, hey, you put in the effort, that's the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, folks, yeah, work, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, that's that's uh, that's what we hope for. We, we put in a, a lot of time and a, a lot of weekends and, you know, traveling. So, yeah, we. We hope, uh, you know, we hope those results always pay off, but, um, you know, they, they always don't, even though we got some good places to hunt, you know, when you're hunting truly mature deer, um, you know, they're, they're hard to kill. It's not easy to kill mature deer every year. So we definitely eat a little bit of tag soup, uh, every now and again. <laughs> well, uh, you know, economics is a big factor for all of us in these things, particularly these days. So I know that if you guys are continuing to go like you are, continuing to work like it, uh, like you have been for years uh you're having some success and well deserved we're going to take another short break folks but don't go away uh we'll be back in just a couple of minutes Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors podcast, man. It's it's great to uh, be able to talk deer hunting, even after deer hunting season is over. And I've had Patrick Sneeders from up at Freeburg, Missouri, on a program with me. He's with Living the Dream Outdoors Properties as a land specialist, and I think he's got the best of the both worlds. We talked about that a little bit. And, uh, Patrick, man, you've had some great success in your lifetime, and, and you run with some pretty good hunters, too, I think. Uh, you've been involved with a TV show over the years. Are you still involved with that show yeah yes i am yep Huntline hunt outdoors yep okay and so people can actually watch you guys on tv and how would how would they watch you guys if they'd like to yeah the the best way to watch us now is um is our youtube channel and you just type in um you know Huntline tv into youtube and and you'll be able to see uh a lot of you know pretty all of our shows i should say we, we've actually transitioned uh we're, we're looking for our, our main guy that edited and did all of our filmmaking um, moved back to New York, so we're in the process of trying to find a uh, you know a replacement, and it's actually been a little tougher than we thought. So we haven't produced any shows um, this season, but we got all all the video and got everything um, ready to go, and we're just trying to find that right person to <laughs> start, start producing the shows, and we'll be we'll be putting them out there. Oh, it's always an involved process, isn't it? But but what fun! Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I've, I've watched a few. Guys, shows uh, year or so ago, and uh, very well done. And 
uh, you guys are hardcore hunters. I have to, I have to hand to you. Well, Patrick, I need your opinion about uh, something. It's a hot topic that's come up, and I think we saw it coming. You know, maybe even years ago, the use of trail cameras have just blossomed. You know, in the last twenty years, and they just get more advanced all the time. You can actually buy uh, trail cams now that you can set out any number of them, I suppose, and you can actually sit home and watch your computer and uh, see how things are transpiring. If uh, see what's going on at your properties at just about any time, but it's been making a national news, you know, and particularly magazines, podcasts, and everything else that uh, there are some states that are beginning to look at. Uh, uh, not allowing the use of trail cameras anymore. I, I know Idaho and I think uh, Arizona maybe have already uh, passed some legislation banning or limiting the use of trail cameras. What's your feeling about that, Patrick? Yeah, that uh, I mean that's definitely some shocking news. I I couldn't imagine. Um, you know, we we use trail cameras i mean that's a huge part of of what we do and you know the scouting and, and figuring out what deer in the you know on the property and in the neighborhood um so i mean i i could not imagine um you know how that would change the dynamic of a of us hunting without being able to use you know those deer cams and like you said now they they've gotten so advanced with uh you know these these cell cams that send the picture straight to your phones and computers um and we we definitely take advantage of that with with us you know having out-of-state properties and you know just the sense factor of you know going in and checking your camera every you know week or two weeks or whatever it may be every time you go in there you're you know you're leaving your own sense all around you know the area you're trying to obviously hunt and um we uh you know i that the buck i killed in iowa i don't know if we talked about that last year um the only reason i killed that deer was because of a uh, cell cam um, you know, I, I had this buck patterned out that, you know, when he was coming through there, you know, in the evening, um, he would always come back through that same trail heading the opposite way, um, in the morning. And, uh, I watched him so much during the season that I knew he was doing that. And I was sitting in the cabin at eight thirty at night and, uh, I got a cell cam picture of him and I immediately knew to go back to that spot in the morning. And we were not planning on hunting that, that stand that morning. And sure enough, exactly, uh, what I thought he was going to do. He came back through that morning and, I was able to take him, so um, all that success I can put, you know, on that cell camera because without that cell camera, I, I wouldn't have killed that deer. So, um, yeah, that's crazy that these states are starting to ban those because that's going to really hinder, you know, people's ability to, you know, you know, make the hunting a little bit easier. So, right, and and of course that's the center of the controversy, and of course there's always arguments and. Uh, heated discussions and some discussions that are not heated going on around the country about but look in my lifetime wow it's been incredible to watch the advancement of technology as related to hunting and fishing both but uh, since we're talking about hunting you know i can remember the days when i started first started bow hunting back in the early 70s you know i had an old bear recurve and uh, killed a few deer with it but i was really limited i just wouldn't allow myself to shoot over 20 yards with that thing but still right you know when it's depends on the hands of the person that's in how much they've practiced and how much dedicated they are and all sorts of things and you can still kill kill deer with them but today we're looking at and the arguments are still there uh, i don't know if you were around could remember when compounds came on the scene oh my all the traditional archers were oh that's going to be the end of our deer populations you know the these 
they'll just wipe them out having these sophisticated compound bows. Well, I don't think the kill ratio went up more at all. And then I thought World War III was going to break out when uh, crossbows came on the scene and states began to <laughs> legalize those. And I, I can remember being against them myself. You know, I was like, my gosh, they'll, they'll really wipe out all the deer. But when I got old enough that I was having shoulder problems and elbow problems and everything else, crossbows got to look a lot better. Now, they'll never have the romance to them, I don't think, that your compounds and your longbows and everything else have. But right. here's here's my take. Okay, we have the advancement in technology, but we've also had the advances in deer management. We have so many people deer hunting. We have so many people uh, managing deer populations on private properties. And still today, even the people that are against their crossbows, and I did an article for Bass Pro probably 10 years ago better about this very subject, and I did a lot of research in there. Missouri was just beginning to look at legalizing it. You, at first, you had to have a medical permit, but I looked at states that had had uh, crossbow seasons in for 20 years. Uh, Ohio was one of them. And the stats were very interesting because the crossbow hunters were not killing any more percentage-wise deer than the compound users. So kind of negates it all, wow. not an issue. So yeah. in your opinion, do you think that uh, the use of has, has the use of trail cams reduced our deer population? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think I it's damaged say, the I, population. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's definitely hurt it. Um I mean I think it just it, it educates people more and um you know I I mean, it's always obviously fun to go out there and see that see that buck that you've never seen before. But um, you know, like in in our our opinion, you know, with with you know, we would never pass that 165 inch deer up in Iowa if we didn't know, you know, that deer was around, didn't know who he was. If he just came walking out on the field and we didn't have trail cam history and kind of know how old he was, you right. know, that deer would probably be shot ten times out of ten. But you know, with the trail cams and us knowing him and knowing how old he was, and you get to study him you know, we, we, you know, packed them essentially. And, uh, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, a lot to do with trail cams and just knowing what's going on. So I think you're, um, no, I, yeah, I think you're exactly, exactly right. But I think we have to keep in mind, you know, the day and time we're, we're living in, uh, and I have no problem at all if, you know, you hunt three states, ten states, whatever, and it's certainly understandable that if you can have a trail camera that's going to give you uh, information, you know, from those states right to your cell phone or your computer, uh, why would I have a problem with that? I think, right. You know, I think a lot of this stuff kind of comes from uh, jealousies between one hunter and another, and I've been around long enough. I, I value every hunter that we've got. I know that we we need them if we're going to keep uh, this heritage of ours going in the United States. So I'm tickled if a guy wants to go out and bow hunt with a bow he's made himself or if he's using the latest and greatest crossbow. Long as they stay right. legal, that's that's all I'm uh, really concerned about. So right. I, I think that's kind of what we uh, have to promote and, and hope for. And I don't know all the details of the, you know, of course, the two states uh, so far that have kind of are trying to eliminate the use of uh, trail cameras. But it seems to me that those states 
will lose some out-of-state hunters because just like you were talking about earlier, uh, having cameras in Iowa and Kansas, it gives you the ability to kind of to scout from from home. And a lot of people, that's, well, that's not fair, Chase. You know, you need to be out there on the pounding the ground and looking for everything yourself. But it does give us another advantage when you can have a camera sitting out there doing your scouting. You don't have to be there scattering your scent all over the place and, and that sort of thing. <laughs> right, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely see it from both ways. I understand, you know, people not liking that. But, I mean, uh, you know, it's just, it's it's smarter smarter scouting for sure with the whole scent factor. I mean, and when you're in there checking cameras and, you know, I, I those old bucks, those old mature bucks, and even those mature does, I mean, they're, they don't get old by being dumb. So, I mean, <laughs> you're going in there and they're smelling that scent. Like we've had a lot of, you know, encounters over the year where you scare that, that mature buck off one time and you never see him again. And uh, I think that's the case more times than not. You usually don't get a second crack at a, a true, you know, five plus old mature deer. Um, so yeah, any, anything you can do to, you know, get to your advantage, um, I'm all for it because it, I, I know best it's, it's, it is not easy killing, um, mature deer at all it is it's very difficult so absolutely true but another aspect of this whole thing particularly from you know uh, the small landowner uh viewpoint and age factor you know i'm 72 years old now I, I couldn't get out and chase around after you guys if i wanted to you know but i enjoy I enjoy the right for you guys to be able to do what you do. And, of course, I enjoy the stories being in outdoor media. But from my standpoint, I get the biggest charge out. i got a couple cameras out, all I've got out. But I occasionally see that buck that I have no idea was anywhere around. And there are a lot of nocturnal pictures. I'm not going to get a lot of daytime photos of of bucks here in in this area. But just four or five years ago, I had like a 170-class buck that was coming into my little food plot at night of course i hunted that buck and i never saw him and uh, as of yeah. a couple of years ago neighbors were telling me that he was still around i don't know if he's probably not now but uh, what a thrill man just to be able to see oh, it but yeah. just uh, pretty wide and tall and so symmetrical just a gorgeous gorgeous buck and uh, i've killed a few bucks i think 10 points about the biggest i've ever killed on this place but uh biggest one i ever killed i've never seen before i never been on camera and of course 10 acres is not very big so he was yeah uh, of course chasing does around got him in trouble you know how that works but trail cameras man i think uh it's going to be a long hard battle before they get them removed from all the states if they do i think some of the states uh will continue to allow us to use them i hope they do in missouri because there's a it's just a great deal of, of enjoyment beyond yeah. even deer i mean i see turkeys raccoons squirrels all kinds of crazy stuff and once in a while a person that does not belong on the property <laughs> <laughs> imagine that huh? <laughs> yeah oh yeah that, that happens but no i i agree it's we and we don't run cell cameras everywhere just have you know a few and you know a few spots but that is truly like you said an enjoyment factor of you know even just taking those trips you know for a weekend you know out to kansas or iowa or even here in missouri and uh you know putting in food plots and checking those cameras i mean that's just uh it's exciting like it's it's so exciting to go you know for those first camera pulls and, you know, kind of seeing what you got growing this year and, you know, what's around that's, uh, yeah, that would, man, that would, that would not be fun if those got taken away because that's a huge aspect of deer hunting. It's a huge, like I said, thrill and enjoyment of it. So, 
it, hopefully they stay around. I hope so. Uh, Patrick, we're down to the wire here. And, uh, man, if you got me so inspired here, I may have to go uh, to the fridge and lay out some deer steaks to prepare for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> oh, that's always a good idea. I love that stuff. Kill some young deer this year, and that stuff is so tender you can cut it with a fork. Oh, yeah, they're delicious. Yeah. Well, Patrick, in the last minute or so here, I, I know that, uh, hey, you're great outdoorsman. I appreciate what you do, the message you guys uh, put out. And uh, also, though, I want to give you the opportunity to pr- promote your office there, Living the Dream Outdoor Properties up in uh, Osage County. Beautiful country up there along the Gasconade River and up to the Missouri River. Some great deer and turkey hunting places. I'm sure you got a ton of wonderful properties listed up there. You guys always do. But how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about properties? Yeah, so yeah, best way is directly to uh, my cell phone, which is uh, 573-690-1118. Um, or you can you can always email me at uh, just nice and simple, patlivingthedream at gmail.com. Um, and obviously you can find me on all our all our websites and, you know, contact information. But, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to get a hold of me. I'm, I'm always by my phone and, and work all hours of the day. So don't be afraid to call. Good, good deal. And uh, Patrick, if you ever need a sidekick to go along, you know, when when you're investigating one of those great farms that's got big deer on it and all that sort of thing, don't hesitate to call me because I got good cameras and that sort of thing. Uh, but don't tell Daryl <laughs> Hyman. You know, I've always told told him he needs to give me keys to those properties so I I can get in and and uh, shoot yeah, photos. That's right. Yeah, he hasn't given in yet. I about give up on those prospects. <laughs> He's got to keep working on them. I'll keep working on them. Keep chipping away. Well, Patrick, man, it, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the program. And, folks, uh, hey, uh, from Patrick Sneeders and myself, remember, we're both living our outdoor dreams, and we encourage you to get out in the outdoors and to live your outdoor dreams as well. I'm Bill Cooper, and this has been Living the Dream Outdoors Podcast. Hey guys, this is Frank Cox with Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Hey, have you ever considered a career in real estate? If you have, but you don't have your license, this is your opportunity. So each month, the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties team is giving away a free seat to the online training that you need to take in order to get your real estate license. We would love to have you join our team. All you got to do is go to our website, livingthedreamland.com, and then click on the Our Team button, and then click on the one that comes up under that that says Join Our Team. On that page, there's an application form. Just simply fill that out and get in contact with a member of our team, and I'll be giving you a call. We appreciate you, and uh, good luck. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by... Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, Mary's County Bank, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters and Rich's Famous Burgers.